Welcome to the Secured Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Matranga. Uh, we're coming to you today from the ASAP Security Studio here in Houston, Texas. Today we have a special guest, longtime friend of mine uh, within the law enforcement community and personal friend as well, Mike Berry. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, thank good. you. Good, 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 man. Good to see you. Good to see you. Happy, Happy to be here. Yes, sir. <clears throat> today we're going to talk about a lot of different things. Uh, we want to talk about you know, I've known you for a very long time. You've known my parents even longer. Um, you know, I've always, um, you know, looked up to you as a law enforcement officer and the, the work that you've done and how you've done the particular type of work uh, that you've done. Um, you know, a, a lot of the um, today's society would, I wouldn't necessarily say frown upon old school police tactics, but, um, you know, I, I think there's a certain level of old and new in today's society that we need in law enforcement. And uh, so, you know, could you just introduce yourself and talk about your, your history and your, your uh, career and all your accomplishments and some of the things that you've done, family, whatever you want to talk about. Just sure. tell us a little bit about yourself. I started in 1975 mm -hmm. as a uh, officer, but let me back up for just a minute. My dad uh, basically saved me from, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, so I think yeah. you can understand what I was doing probably at that time. Right. And I had pretty much hit rock bottom. My dad came home and he said, how would you like to go to the academy, police academy? And I said, uh, yeah, that'd be pretty cool. You know, I rode with my dad a couple of times. He worked in a small agency. And uh, I never thought about being a cop. My dream was to be a CIA agent. That's why I signed up for the Marine Corps. Yeah. To be in the military, which I couldn't go because I had a bad knee. But anyways, um, he saved me and he said, look, when I said yes, he said, you start Monday. We're going to cut that shit off your head tomorrow because okay. I had long hair. Yeah. <laughs> so I started the academy. At the time, you could be 19 years of age mm -hmm. um, and attend an academy. You could be a police officer at 19. So I couldn't buy a gun or ammunition. I could buy alcohol, and I could be a cop. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so my dad saved me on that. So I applied for Houston. After graduating from the academy, I applied with Houston and a bunch of other agencies, even as far as Dallas. The sheriff's office came to visit me. Galveston County. County, yes. Right. And uh, it was old John Gardner, and I had already submitted my application. And he said, hey, uh, are you still interested in the position? I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, well, J.B. Klein, at the time was the sheriff, uh, wants you to come down for an interview. So I did. And eventually I got hired on. And, of course, in, with the sheriff's office, the majority, or at least back then, you had to go through the jail, work the jail. And when an opening came for patrol, if that's what you wanted or another thing, then you could put in for it. I worked the jail for three months. And then an opening came up in ID. So I went there, and I was there for about three or four months, and um, there was an opening patrol, and I told the captain or the lieutenant at that time <clears throat> in ID, I said, you know, I'd like to be a patrol officer or go, go out in the field. So it was granted, and I wound up in the field, and I worked uh, the Highway 6 District. And I did that. And you were 19, 20 at this time? 19, 20, yeah, yeah. 19, 
or 19 years old? Yeah, I was still 19. Okay. Uh, had just turned 19. Yeah. Um, so, I, I, you know, I was on patrol for a while. And uh, fi almost five years later, the city of Santa Fe formed as a city, mm -hmm. municipality. They incorporated. At that time, there was a transition going on. J.B. Klein was retiring. Joe Max Taylor was coming in as sheriff. I loved Joe Max. Uh, I had no problem with J.B. Klein either, but uh, a couple of us um, knew some things about um, some people yeah, okay. in the agency. <laughs> yeah. Uh, working midnights, you see and hear a lot. Yeah. Um, so anyways, myself and one other guy, uh, had the cojones to go ahead and meet with Joe Max Taylor at the time who was running for sheriff. And we told him what we knew. And he offered us, um, both of us a different position from where we were. The other gentleman that was there, um, was promoted to sergeant the next day. And he offered me a position, but... I declined because I was already in the process of leaving and going to Santa Fe. Mm -hmm. Santa Fe, city. Texas, the city of Santa city Fe. City of Santa Fe. Yes, the newly formed municipality. Yes, and I because I was working that district, so right. I knew it. Right. And I guess it was God's grace that put me there, really. Right. Um, so then he said, "I understand, no problem." You know, blah blah blah. So I went to work for Santa Fe. Uh, started off as a patrolman, then immediately because we're brand new. I made patrol sergeant. A year later, I, there was a grant to have an investigator mm -hmm. for this, this small agency. So I was doing that. And then a year later, I wound up being assigned to the Galveston County Organized Crime Unit, right. which back in those days was the basically the investigative unit for the sheriff's office. But it was uh, an accumulation of every, a lot of people from other agencies, right. task force type thing. <clears throat> So I did that from, um, man, off and on from 81 to 89, yeah. 88. And in 88, I got a phone call from my police chief at the time, Brian Lamb. He said, I'm leaving, I'm resigning, and uh, you know, you're the next in charge, and I want you to get the job. Anyways, so I wound up being a police chief. I got the position, and... Uh, I was police chief until 95, okay. and in 95, I had just graduated from the FBI National Academy, mm -hmm. and uh, I had come back to my agency. Then I get a phone call from Joe Max. Are you still interested in coming back down here? And I said, yes, sir, I am, because I did not like admin. I did not like being a police chief. Yeah. I didn't. I like to be out in the field and work. Yep. I went down, although he, he sent... Gene Leonard up to talk to me. It was agreed. I accepted the position. I retired as police chief and went back to work for the county in 95. And I stayed there up until the time that I retired in 18. I have been blessed, and I realized I've been blessed in my career um, for the things that I was able to do. I really enjoy investigations. I was hired by the sheriff's at that time the only position was open was a um mhmr deputy mental health mental retardation and uh so i went into that position for about four months but at the same time 
they alternated me through CID upstairs. So I was working with them and also MHMR. And eventually, after about six months, I wound up going up to CID full time and stayed there. So from, let's say, 96 until when I retired, I was in CID. And during that tenure or those years, we were all investigators. You know, you worked all kinds of crime, but myself and Tommy Hansen, who was the lieutenant, yeah. uh, he and I really worked close together. And we wound up working the majority of the homicides. Um, so in 2007, yes, Tommy and I are working a very brutal homicide of a female over on Crystal Beach. Uh, the case is still pending, meaning it's a cold case now, but Tommy's pretty much got it wrapped up because he's still working cold case. But <clears throat> is Tommy still employed there? He's a reserve with the sheriff's office, yeah. but he's assigned to the bureau. Okay. Uh, the uh, regional office. And then uh, he's working cold case right now and has okay. been since he retired. Gotcha. So <clears throat> Tommy and I were working this case and we wound up, we were over in Lumberton, Silsby Lumberton area. Yep. And I happened to be the detective on call that week. And this is late at night. We're sitting in a McDonald's having coffee with the police chief and another officer and Tommy and I taking a break. We've been doing surveillance on this particular person. Anyways, um, the phone rings and I answer it. It's dispatch and they're telling me um, we have a homicide or we have discovered there has been a, a discovery of a body and it looks like it's a child. I said, okay. So I told Tommy and we took off. Riley Ann Sawyers is the child's name. Yes. But she, shortly after this, the case was named Baby Grace um, because we had no identity. Right. <clears throat> so Tommy and I left Silsby and Lumberton and we made it back. That's almost a two hour drive. And we made it back in less than an hour. Wow. Yeah, we were flying. We got to the base of the causeway. The Marine Division was bringing the body in its container to where we were so they can offload it and they could take it to the morgue. Um, so that's what happened. I did need to confirm just for myself when they got there, just open the container. Let me see. Let's backtrack real quick. I hate to stop you because sure. you're flowing, but let's talk about first how the, uh, how the, the child was discovered. Mm -hmm. And then let's talk about your work as also being in investigations also as an emergency. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry, as the uh, ME. ME, medical uh, examiner. Okay. So let's, and then let's get back to opening up. So a fisherman was out there in the body of water and he came up to this little island, uh, maybe a thousand foot long. And he saw this container and it was uh, a rubber, rubber, what do they call them? Rubberware or whatever? Rubbermate. Rubbermate container. Mm -hmm. And it was sitting up on the shoreline. So he got out. Now this is, I don't know, I'm not 
actually sure what time the body was found. Right. I want to say around uh, 9 or 10 at night. So he goes up, and he's thinking, man, he had a gold mine, you yeah. know, all kinds of equipment yeah. and stuff. He opens it up, and he sees a trash bag, yeah. black trash bag. And he kind of moved it around a little bit, and he could see a child's shoe. So that's when he backed off, called 911. Deputies and patrol sergeants showed up. They had to get out there by boat. He contacted the Marine Division. That's how all that took place. Okay. We opened the container down there at the bottom of the causeway. I think it's called Smitty's Bait Camp. Yes. It's on the Galveston side. <clears throat> That's where they pulled up. And I asked Randy, and he popped the lid. I looked in there, and I saw, obviously, that it was a child. Okay, they're going to take the body to the morgue. Well, by this time, it's 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. <clears throat> um, I knew that they weren't going to get there until 8 at the ME's office. So I go home, showers, get ready, and I go uh, to the morgue to witness the autopsy. Out of all the death cases that I've ever worked, that's the only one that I did not sit in and watch the autopsy. This child was decomposed badly um, they, they laid her on the table and, um, they laid out her clothes on a sheet. Uh, Dr. Postelnik was the ME at that time, chief medical examiner. So I go out into the office area to sit. I'm, I, there was something about this and I'm, I'm telling you, I've probably done a thousand bodies, if not more as a medical examiner, right. and also working as a detective on homicide. Um, there was something about this case that I just, I couldn't witness it. I don't know why. I really can't answer that. So anyways, the cause of death was determined, preliminary, un until toxicology and all that come back. So we had no identity still. What was the cause of death preliminary? Blood force trauma? Blunt force trauma to the head. Yes. Okay. Yeah. They they did a full autopsy, and yes, they. She had actually four cracks in her head. And how old was this child? Two. She was two. She was two. Yes. Okay. Um. So then, at that point, um, we need to identify. Yeah. We need to identify who this child is, and of course, by doing that, then the first thing we're going to do is we're you're going to go after, or at least let me rephrase that you're going to look into the parents. Uh -huh. They're the closest ones to the child. But we at don't that know point, you don't know who they are. We don't know. Right. So at this point, you know, you don't know who you have the the body or the remains of a 2-year-old child who you preliminary identified as having blunt force trauma to the head. The process in which you identify that child is that is that um, you know, DNA swabs and samples. How did y'all identify the child in order to identify the parents? Well, then to answer that question, that goes into November. Okay. This was in October? September, October, I think. September, October. Yeah, is I, when I, she I think was it was discovered. When she was discovered, correct. But she was murdered in July. Yes. So and we found sat, that out from the investigation itself. So her body remained in that container at, in the bay of Galveston. No. They really? kept the, they kept the baby in their garage. 
for how many months? Almost two. Two months. Yes, almost two. And it got to the point where it was stinking so bad they had to do something. They made trouble. When I'm saying they, it would have been the biological mother and the stepfather. That's who it was. Mm-hmm. And there's no problem by discussing it because all the appeals are yeah, over, over. So we're good. Yeah. Um, so jumping forward a little bit, um, we were working, Tommy and I were working really hard on information we got from two fishermen that saw these people pull up at a boat uh, launch in uh, Hitchcock mm-hmm. at the end of 2nd Street. Yes. You know where I'm talking about. Yeah, it's uh, the old... Um, Mike Zeller used Mike to Mike Zeller's it. bait camp. That's right. Yeah. Well, that's where it was. I grew up not even a quarter, half a mile from there. <laughs> that's true. I know exactly where it's at. I've <laughs> launched my boat there multiple times. And I don't think people, just to put this into perspective, um, at the end of 2nd Street in Hitchcock, Texas, where this child's body was was put into the water, it was a very long canal. What do you, mm-hmm. How many miles do you think? Before it, it took, it takes about twenty minutes just to get out to the channel, in at a least boat. in a boat. Yeah, and so that that child's body was placed in the water there, and it traveled by current to the bay. Well, not from there. No, no. Really? That's okay. what I want. That's what okay. I want to tell you. We got this lead, buddy, and it was hot. Two fishermen sitting on right next to the launch. Yeah, fishing, and they see this. Um, Older model, uh, what they call, I guess the Yukon, or it was an older model yeah. type. Backed in, towing a boat, and started launching. And it was a okay. man and a woman. Okay. And those guys, you know, they're just fishing. They're kind of watching them launch the boat. Well, it was an open boat, obviously, and both fishermen noticed this blue container that was at the front of the boat. In fact, they actually took it out of the truck and put it in the boat. And they watched them back out, and then they took off towards the channel. Ah, okay. And about 45 minutes later, they come back. They come back, and the woman that was in the boat, according to the two witnesses, is sobbing. I mean, just like it, hysterically sobbing. See, these are the details that I don't think the public knows about. Right. 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 Okay. So this looked really promising. And they don't have the Rubbermaid container when they return, right? No, that's right. That's right. Okay. It's gone. So, okay. But, all right, did you happen to notice the license plate? or this? So we even contacted. Uh, there was a hip, hypnotist from ATF. Yeah. And he came down and he uh, interviewed these two fishermen. And there was no doubt that they saw what happened. They're not lying and everything was good. So Tommy and I were really pushing this or really looking into this. But we still, so basically we have a description of a vehicle and a boat where we have no idea where they're from. So I'm thinking, let's check the Hitchcock area and drive us wherever we can. Split up, let's get a couple other. So we're doing this for a a long time. And meanwhile, we're still gathering information uh, about the case, you know. Because we also called in uh, auto crimes people and several other uh, detectives because we made the hotline for the calls and the tips, and they were coming in. Because at this point, y'all had identified her as Baby Grace. Yes. And in the media. Yes. Right? Because you had not identified who the child was, so you, you labeled her Baby Grace. 
Why did you label? Why did you all say Baby Grace? What was the what was the premise behind that? I didn't, and I I can't remember her first name, but Miss Caroga, she is in charge of all the uh, court administrators, okay. the women that run the court rooms or for the judges. She came up with the name Baby Grace, okay, and Ray Tulamondo who was at that time the major and the uh, public information officer, just went with it and called her Baby Grace. And there's photographs and video of him holding up the shoe. We tra During this time, we tracked down where the shoe came from, Walmart. Because it was a, a light-up shoe, correct? Yes, yes. And back in those days, even my kids were that same age. That's why it resonated with me so much because... I had daughters that, that were that age, right? And they wore those same shoes. Yeah. Whenever Everybody you take a step, could they relate up. to that, you know? And I think that that was, you know, when we talk about investigative measures and the wealth thought out and the experience of some of these, these investigators, you know, when everybody thinks about high-level investigations, people think about FBI. But let me tell you, the men like Mike Berry and Ray Tulamondo and, you know, Tommy Hansen, these guys are true professionals there's a reason why that shoe was pushed out on the media with the name baby grace is because the majority of us who even myself at that time had a child or children that were that age, we could relate to that. It became heartfelt. We all took a vested interest yes. in <clears throat> trying to figure out who this, this unfortunate child was. Right. So, you know, I don't know if that was actually planned to feed on the emotions of the public. No, it but wasn't. It might not have been planned, but well, let me tell you, it, 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 was, it hit. It hit. Yeah. And it was extremely effective. And so, you know, <clears throat> from an investigative standpoint and from, you know, uh, the standpoint of seeking information from the public, these are things that have to be considered when you're pushing out information. It has to resonate with the, with the general populace of the, of the community that surrounds you, right? Mm -hmm. I remember seeing that shoe. And that's why I remembered it was that light up shoe from Walmart. Our kids had the same ones. Um, so not to, not to distract you, but no. so you got the ATF involved. They came out, they interviewed the two fishermen. Um, you guys have determined that, um, you know, they're telling you guys the truth, mother sobbing Rubbermaid container that they had witnessed going into the boat and onto the water with them did not come back with them. I'm sure at this time you guys had, you know, already had DNA samples of the child had she been uh, um, identified at that point? Y'all just hadn't pushed it out yet? She had not been identified. In okay. fact, what broke the case was the grandmother. Okay. So during this time, we're working it. We're focusing. Tommy and I are focusing on this one lead, and that it's promising. In fact, uh, you know, we you attend funerals. You attend, uh, as a detective, um, funerals, whatever. Well, there was a vigil. And the visual was conducted down at another bait camp underneath the call, uh, underneath the uh, Santa Fe overpass. Yeah, there's a Smitty's. I think yeah. it's called Smitty's. Santa Fe overpass. The San which one's Santa Fe or is it the terminal overpass? That's right, the, the, the overpass right before the causeway. If yeah, you're on that's the main um, is that uh, the terminal? The Smitty's bait camp. Okay, yeah, Smitty's yep. bait camp. Mm -hmm. So that's where the visual was held, and and you know we had about ten detectives out there, and. Uh, we're watching, and something keyed with me on a particular person. She was just extremely emotional. We had a description of this lady and this man that was in the boat. Yeah. 
but something just kept, and then, you know, I got with one of the guys and I said, look, you know, watch this person over here, keep eyes on it. Well, then when the thing was going to break, we were taking also a monument, if you will, to play. It was a cross mm -hmm. and we were placing it out on the, uh, the island where she was found. Deer Island. Yes. So we go do that and come back. Well, they lost these people. Okay. In the crowd, they lost, and they didn't know which one, which where they went, because there was probably 50, 60, 80 people there. You said what brought attention to her was she seemed ex more distraught than anybody, than anybody else? else. Yes. Okay. Anybody else. So I wanted to focus on her. That that keyed me, but unfortunately, they lost her in the crowd, and next thing you know, people are driving off, and it's over with. So we go out and do that, and we come back. Um. So then let's jump forward. And this is Thanksgiving of 2007. And we'd been working hard on this case for two months, three months. The captain at the time decided, y'all go home early. This is the day before Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Y'all go home early. Y'all been working hard, this, that, and the other. Well, it was four o'clock, so he gave us an hour. <laughs> but anyways. So gracious. Yeah, how gracious. <laughs> so, you know, it's Thanksgiving, blah, blah, blah. Do the thing. Friday morning, I get a phone call from Tommy Hansen. He says, hey, Captain called. Uh, they got this lady coming in. Now, I don't know anything about what has taken place previously except what I know Tommy and I had done and what other investigators had gotten. You know, I'm the case agent, so they're telling me everything. But I didn't know about this particular thing. The day after Thanksgiving, I get a phone call from Tommy, and he says, hey, look, Captain called. He wants us to come in the office. Um, there's a woman coming down that they're going to do a buccal swab on her, and uh, he wants us to interview her. And I'm thinking, what the, f you know. You can cuss. It's okay. Yeah, okay. What the fuck, man? I mean, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't know anything about this thing. Yeah. He said, quit bitching and just come on. So we get to go down there. And I mean, we're casual as normally we wear a coat and tie. We go in casual. And this video or the footage of the interview of her uh, is on YouTube or whatever. But we get in there and they've got one of the uh, crime scene investigators in there. The captain is there in his office. One or two other people. Oh, the DA showed up, and this lady and an attorney. So we go into Let one me of the interviews. Real quick, sure. I want to stop you. Was this woman that's being interviewed the same woman that you saw at the vigil? No, not the same woman. Not the same. No, no, no. Y'all never found out who that woman was. Never, never did. Okay, all right. I thought you were going. They're saying that this was potentially the mother that came back for the vigil because we know in a lot of crimes that happen like this, the suspect usually comes back to the scene or attends a vigil. So that did yep. not happen. No, sir. So just for the listeners, happen. I want to clarify that that didn't happen. Okay, so that is correct. Okay, so now you've got this lady, you've got the DA in there, you've got you know an investigator, you got all these people that seem unusual to you to have all those people there. Well, at the at the beginning of this yeah. interview, there was only just a couple of people. Myself, Tommy, the captain was in his office, the crime scene guy, 
And there might have been one other person uh-huh. in the CID office just kind of hanging out. Sure. This was on Friday after Thanksgiving. So they said to the interviewer, I said, okay, so I don't know who this lady is. So Tommy's in there. I'm in there. Of course, the, the, the video, I mean, the uh, interview was recorded. They're doing the buccal swab. They get all their samples and this, that, and the other. Okay, they walk out. All right, so during this time, we're kind of talking. She's talking to us, and she's going on with her story, this lady. And then she gets to the point where she says, talking about her husband and his family, and she says, but his family doesn't know. And I said, uh, know what? And she said that my daughter is Riley Ann Sawyer's. And this is exactly what, that's exactly what I did, just like you. Okay. I went, and I leaned forward, I said, uh, are you telling me that your daughter, Riley Ann Sawyer, is baby Grace? And she said, yes. Tommy and I looked at each other, and the first thing we thought was, how could we be set up to do an interview on a capital murder case and not know any of the factors that brought her there in the first place? Well, so I was going to backtrack. How did she get there? This is what happened. Okay. Pressure was starting to come on them. And the reason why the pressure came on the mother and her uh, husband, the, the stepfather, the grandmother, let me go back. In July, there was supposed to be a uh, another custody hearing or to increase child support or something. This was up in Cleveland, Ohio. Yeah, because the grandmother was from Cleveland. Right. She's the, from Cleveland, the, the mother. The, the mother of... Of Riley, they're all from, from Cleveland, Cleveland except the, the stepfather. Stepfather's from Texas. Yes, sir. Right. Okay. So <clears throat> there was a custody hearing in July. This is what was told to me, which I later found to be true. Obviously, the grandmother was doing research because there was supposed to be a custody hearing, and the last time she had seen Riley was in July, and that was uh, not at a court hearing. Yeah. So there was a court hearing. And since that time, she hadn't seen, heard, not a phone call, nothing from the mother or um, the child, of course. So she started doing some research on the computer. And she had some information, something about Texas. And she was doing research. She looked up media, this, that, and the other, and she found this sketch drawing of which I failed to mention, and I, and I will at this point, HPD has, or had now, one of the greatest artists in the country. In fact, the picture, well, the sailor after World War II bent down at Times yeah. Square and kissed a girl. She identified who that man was. He was from West really? Houston. Yeah. So anyways, she's she was awesome. She came down the day of the autopsy and she looked at the clothes. She looked at what was left of the body and she created a sketch that was unbelievable. So I had to jump back there to explain that yeah. and then I'm going back forward. So 
the mother, the grandmother's doing this research, and she happens to see this sketch on the computer of this child that we're trying to identify. And she looks at it, she says, that's Riley. And at this point, she hadn't heard from her. Right. From the mother or the child. No, that's correct. And this is when, like September maybe? This would have been probably... Uh, September, October, October. No. Yeah. Well, it might have been even later than that because I have no idea yeah. when the captain had gotten this information. Okay. Okay. So, so go ahead. Grandmother calls the captain. No. What the grandmother does is she sees that it's uh, they're living in Conroe. Okay. So she contacts a uh, constable's office, and they go out and do a welfare check. And they were, conf- she was confronted by the constable. Of course, Riley's not there, so there's no evidence. Well, there was evidence, but so, <clears throat> and he somehow documents or notifies or this, I, I really am not certain as to how this came. She <laughs> looked at that, and when I later had interviewed her, she said, I bought that outfit at Target. We had already identified the item coming right. from Target, just like the shoe from Walmart. Sure. And uh, so anyways, we could, we, you know, we confirmed that or, or um, she said these things. Somehow, some word got to the captain. And the next thing I know is... I'm doing an interview. But what had happened was the heat was starting to come on. They were claiming that Ohio's CPS came to pick up Riley. Well, you know as well as I do, yeah, that doesn't happen. That doesn't happen it's got to right. be the state that picks them up right? or the state you're in. Well, that didn't happen. And a few other things, and their story was starting to unravel, and they started to get a little bit nervous. So she eventually wound up finding some particular attorney out of Alvin. I can't remember the gentleman's name. And she went over there and she told him everything. And he said, we have two options. We have one, you can wait until the buccal swab comes and they do that and they test. Or two, we can beg for mercy and go down there and tell them the truth. She opted for the second. And on that Friday, her and her attorney came down with a scheduled meeting to talk to the sheriff's office. So that's how we identified her, but you don't send an investigator in naked. Well, I was just about to ask you is, is you know, um, you being the investigative agent, you and Tommy having, you know, point and lead on this, why why was it that you guys were not informed that all of these these inner workings were happening and that even an appointment had been set with an individual who was potentially coming in to discuss this, why why were you guys not informed or kept in the loop on that? I mean, being the investigative agents, where was the breakdown in communication? Where did that happen? It happened based on what I know from the captain to us. I mean, um, don't, don't you think that that would have been important? I mean, <laughs> Being the captain, I think that the first two people that I would notify that we potentially have a suspect coming in with an attorney, that's, you know, alarm number one. They're coming in with an attorney. They must have something that could be potentially incriminating. 
why would the captain not tell you that and then wait to the last minute and say, hey, come in, you got an interview? That makes no sense to me. Personally, and a few others, it was a power struggle. I know who did this. I know who did it. Yeah, but at the end of the day, it, that's the problem within law enforcement is, is egos have to be set aside because at the end of the day, you've got a child who's been brutally murdered. No one cares about how much control you have at that point. At the end of the day, at that point, we're all on the same level. Right. Titles and promotions Out should not matter. Right. You have a dead child who was brutally murdered. Withholding information just to prove that you're the one in control is absolute bullshit. You know, I don't care who it is. I don't know who it is. In fact, don't tell me who it is. But whoever it was, you probably should have, you know, got uh, checked after that. But yeah. it is what it is. Well, you eventually, um, he was not rehired when the new sheriff took over. Okay. Um, and I, that's the only uh, answer I can give you as yeah. to why that happened. Yeah. Um, this person just had a thing for power. Yeah. I'd guess. Well, so, <laughs> so she comes in, y'all sit down, you talk to her essentially, like you said already, she confirms that her daughter, Riley Ann Sawyers was the child that was found in, you know, in the Bay of Galveston uh, or in Galveston Bay on Deer Island by this fisherman. Can you, Tell us how that happened. Did she? I know that there's some details out there already, but um, how did she lead into what happened? Did y'all prompt her, or did she willingly come forward? With she that? willingly came forward because, like I said, I had no idea really why she was there except to give a buccal swab. Um, and these things, like you just said, are running through my head, and I'm, I'm starting to boil a little bit during this time because I can't, I don't have answers. Yeah. And so while we're sitting there, it, it took probably 30 minutes from the time we walked in the room to the time that she said, Riley Ann Sawyers is, is baby grace is about 30, 35 minutes. That interview lasted another three hours. We took a break and she had, obviously she had implicated her husband Mm -hmm. She told us everything that her story, you right. know, her, her facts and story. I'll tell you a quick, funny thing real quick. I, so we broke after that and that's when I came out. And by that time, when I came out of the interview on that time, there were a lot more people there. The chief deputy was there. I came out of that interview room and I said, that motherfucker sent us in there fucking naked to do this fucking interview. That's what, well, the chief said, Mike, just calm down. Just do your job. I'll take care of that. Okay. John Pruitt and I happened to just go into the bathroom. I had to go to the bathroom. So we get in there, both get in there and work. And I said, that fucking bitch is just as guilty as he is. And blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden we are, you know, the toilet flushing. Mm -hmm. Now this is a Friday. It's closed. <laughs> okay. And I'm thinking, Oh shit. He and I looked at each other. Her attorney comes walking. Oh out. God. And he said, I know you don't like my client, but you know, this was our options. And she chose this one. You know, blah, blah. He was really cool about it. He was a good man. Um, so, anyways, at that point, uh, we're doing the interviews. 
We go into, now we got there at like nine o'clock in the morning, which this is very, you know, as well as I do, the hours we work. Oh yeah. So it was about, um, after we finished her interview, which was a total of about seven hours, it was a break. And then we finished three or four more hours after that. She implicated her husband, came out after the final interview. And I said, we need to get eyes on her husband. Mm -hmm. We need to find out where he is and, you know. So the captain sent a team up to, it wasn't Conroe. Spring. Spring, thank you very much. Um, They go up there. He's not there. So they leave. They're going to the attorney's office in Alvin. Well, then somebody stayed back at the house, and he pulled up. So they asked him, would you be willing to come in and talk to us? He did. His parents showed up too. So obviously he knew that stuff was coming bad. Right. Uh, So his parents showed up also. I did not conduct that interview. Uh, Randy Burroughs and maybe Tommy was in on that interview. I was busy typing a search warrant for their house Mm -hmm. uh, up in spring. So they do the interview with him. He doesn't really tell much, you know, he's... Does he know that she's kind of already given it up, though, at this point? No, I don't think... No, not at that time. I okay. don't think he knew. Um, so I'm typing a search warrant, and then while they're doing that interview, which I think only lasted 45 minutes, then he started getting sick. Of course. You know how people get, I, I, you know, trying to prevent from getting, getting arrested. sick, they've got to use the restroom, something. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. So he got sick. EMS had to come take him to the ER. So yeah, it's called conscious. Yes. And then after he was released, he, uh, the, the authority for charges to be filed were granted that night. Um, and we were holding them. We were charging him initially with tampering with physical evidence, right? That's all we charged him with at that time until we could build some more. So a team and the crime scene people are crime scene people. Uh, went up to spring and processed the house. And we found a lot of evidence that was brought out in the trial, even notes that he wrote um, apologizing for what he did. He was asking for, you know, for uh, accept his apology. But also on this notebook, there was a list of things that they were buying at Walmart, which we have the videotape. So it secured that, you know, shovel, uh, the container, you know, all this other stuff, trash bags. The next morning after we finished that, we, uh, Randy and I go up to Spring, Texas, where the house is, and we kind of viewed that scene itself. And then shortly after all this stuff was found, well then, okay, I told uh, or I stated to one of the FBI agents that was, um, we were all under the umbrella of the FBI um, what are they, a task force. Yeah. We, uh, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. I can't remember the name of it, buddy, and I'm sorry. But I was assigned there for about 13, 14 years. Anyways, um, I told him, I said, dude, we need to get up to Cleveland. We need to go and talk to the family. So sure enough, we made arrangements that morning, catch a flight. So now we've been up over 24 hours. We catch a flight. We go to Cleveland. 
we get there, made arrangements with the Cleveland PD to help us, you know, with the uh, interviews. So we get there, and the family's sitting there, and it's the grandmother, the father of Riley, and one or two other people. And I basically, are you, you know, are you this person? You have a, well, I'm sorry to inform you, but Riley is passed, and you know we now have the identity of, of who she is and blah, blah, blah. So we really didn't do a, a lot of, we did do in a couple of days, some interviews there, um, of family. And then we came back home and by this time we're able to charge, you know, in fact, we were able to charge, uh, after I did the interview. So then they were charged with capital murder. And then, of course, the trials came, and both were convicted. She received life, and he received life without parole. Let me ask you a question. Mm -hmm. When you did the interviews with the family in Ohio, mm -hmm. Cleveland, you said you met with the, the, the maternal grandmother who really kind of broke the case. Yes. Uh, and then you met with the, the biological father of Riley Ann Sawyers. What was his uh, explanation um, of... Had he gone to authorities seeking, you know, the location or whereabouts of his child? Was he concerned with his child? What was his role and what was his position uh, or disposition at that point? He um, expressed his love and affection for Riley. He talked to us about their relationship. He, uh, the mother and her, uh, or him. But it was the grandmother yeah. that was really the spokesperson and pushing stuff. Nice woman, great woman. Yeah. Um, but he, um, I kind of felt like, okay, yeah, he, he loved the baby, but. Yeah, you love the baby, but where where have you been? Yeah. Like, have you, what attempts have you made to find your child? When's the, I mean, what, what type of father doesn't speak to their child for six, seven, eight months? Or at least want to know where the whereabouts of your child mm -hmm. is, a, a two-year-old child. I mean, we're not talking about an adult here. Right. You know? Right. We're talking about a two-year-old child who has left the state in which you reside. I mean, you know, I guess I, not everybody's like me. I would assume, you know, I'm, I guess. I mean, I guess I, that's just facts. But, you know, I, I kind of wanted to know where, where he was in all of this, you know, and what his explanation for being absent was. I think uh, w what I do know is that the grandmother was the one that was really pushing and trying to find out. He, he did say, he, the father, you know, he wondered where Riley was, but, you know, my mom was doing this, this, I mean, this. Had, they, they had no knowledge that, they had moved, that she had moved to Texas with this child? Not until she saw the sketch. Really? Yes. And and that's been confirmed from the mother. Yeah. She never told them. In fact, um, when she went to that hearing, she didn't have Riley with her. Mm -hmm. Riley was still down here. Yeah. Um, she wasn't deceased at that point, though. No. Yeah. No. Right. So, yeah. Uh, he, I think, just followed the lead of his mother. Yeah, what I think.
you know, they were young. You know, they how, were seniors in high were, school. Oh, they were seniors they were in, in high school. When they got pregnant. Oh, okay. okay. And uh, she graduated. He graduated. You know, she was pregnant during that, and she had the baby, and she was even living with them for a while. Okay. And then they started having problems, her yeah. and he, and she moved out to a house uh, that a, her family owned. Yeah. And she was living there. And then what happened was she met this guy online. World of War, World of Warcraft. World of Warcraft. That's how she met him. And they talked quite a bit. And one time she flew down to visit him and came back. And then the next time she brought everything. Were they officially married, her and him, the stepfather? I think so, bud. Were they? I think so. Um, so no, who? No, wait a minute. Her stepfather? The stepfather? Yeah. The, or are you the, talking about the natural biological father? No, 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 no. The, the stepfather. The stepfather. Yeah. I think they were yeah. married. Yes. Um, you know, I think it's. Um, you know, I'm, I think it's important for everybody to understand that. You know, this is this is a traumatic um, event that happened in our community in Galveston County. Um, and it, it made national news uh, due to the complexity of the case and the brutality of the uh, suffering that this child had gone through. And so, um, you know, we talk about this because, you know, there's certain aspects of society that, um, or there's people within our society that don't think that these particular types of things happen and they happen on a daily basis to our kids. Um, in this particular case, the punishment and the abuse that this child faced was just completely unbearable. I mean, it was, you know, I can remember at that time, I was 2007, I was hot and heavy on the, you know, Obama campaign trail, you know, and I was, you know, when I was coming back, you know, to and from our travels, you know, I was following up with the case, trying to keep track, see if there was anything that we could do from our side to help you guys. You guys had already had it pretty much resolved by that time, November of 2007. Um, but we just didn't, We, as a community, we didn't like to think that anybody within our community could abuse a child to that level and disregard their remains, you know, in a, in a box. And, you know, I'm happy to say it wasn't our, uh, it wasn't anybody within our community. These people didn't live here, but not to say that terrible things don't happen even within Galveston County because they do. Yes. And, um, you know, it's, you know, I wanted to bring you in today to talk about this one because I know that this one had a significant impact on you and you've done so much other stuff, um, you know, within your, your career. But, you know, the, the things that I take away from this is, you know, investigative practices uh, that we really need to pay attention to. One, um, you know, the sketch, right? Important. The Very. sketch is what set it off. The, the grandmother recognized the child because HPD had a, a phenomenal sketch artist that, that really depicted who this child was. Yeah. She even got the clothing right. The, the grandmother identified the clothing. Um, you know, the whether you knew it or not, but the, you know, the, the shoe being displayed, tugged at the heartstrings yes, of most young adults. Yes. Because we all could relate to that. Um, the name of baby Grace, um, you know, it signifies innocence and, you know, grace within our hearts that, that people were supposed to have. And so 
Miss Caroga, who came up with that name, that was brilliant. I don't know if that was intentional. Yeah, I don't know either. But it, I, it, it, I truly believe that 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 God put the right people in the right place at the right time to discover who that child was. And so, you know, I don't think we need to get into, unless you want to, about the the horrific details of the abuse that this child had suffered because it came out in trial, all that stuff's public information at this point, but essentially for the viewers who don't know anything about this case, this child was abused significantly, um, which caused her death over a period of- One day. One day, so. You want me to tell you briefly yeah, what happened? Yeah. What what basically happened is, and, and I'll give you a little bit of history. The stepfather had worked other jobs. He also had worked at a uh, funeral home at one point, mm-hmm. which I found to be interesting, especially while we were working it or putting a case together, because you know they bought bleach, they bought all these things at Walmart. They even poured bleach down Riley's throat because they gave CPR, you know, so he, and and she also said that uh, they both watched a lot of forensic files. And she was already hours. deceased when they- Yes, were, okay. this is during the, yeah. This is post. Yes. Okay. He's from Texas, she's from up there. You know how we are down here, yes ma'am, no ma'am, yes sir, no sir, yeah. polite, courtesy, manners. Well, he could not get over that the mother is not tr- teaching this child to do that. And Riley also had a problem with taking uh, oral Tylenol for children. Mm-hmm. She just didn't like the taste or whatever. On that day, he decided, and he he never admitted it, but decided, we're going to stay, I'm going to stay home today, and we're going to... We're going to break dis- her of this. We're going to break her of all these habits. Right. So it started. Um, at one point they had her in the bathtub in a little bit of water and they would hold her underground or hold her under the water to teach her to take Tylenol. And at one point, this comes from the mother, Riley was reaching up like this saying, just give it to him. I'll take it. I'll take it. You know, please, mommy. I don't know if they gave her any. And then the abuse throughout the day, a few other things, belt whipping if she didn't do right, um, chastise. And two times he grabbed her and slung her across the room and her head hit the, the floor, tile floor. But it also happened again. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point- Four breaks, right? In the head. Yeah. Skull fractures. And at the end, the mother said, this is when she kind of broke down, but she's trying to stand Riley up on her lap and her legs were collapsing. And that's when they realized this is serious. We've done something. Um, and the last, the last words that, um, Riley's that Riley said was, uh, I love you, mommy. And uh, sorry. No, take your time. 
So those were the last words that uh, Riley Ann spoke. So they put her in the bathtub and they go to Walmart after they make this list. And they get all these things and they're... She's deceased at this point? She's deceased. She naturally passed? Is yeah, that she naturally passed, yeah, because of the blunt force trauma. Okay. Bleed out. So they were going to bury her that night. In fact, I think it's a total of four times that they left with the container to go do something. And eventually, that night, the night that they did dispose of her, they left their cell phones at home. Um, they avoided anything to show of a toll. And they drove all the way down to the causeway. Why they picked that, I, I cannot answer that. With the, She wouldn't have known about it, so it had to come from him. Mm-hmm. Now, I'll stop there for a minute. Unfortunately, Galveston Sheriff's Office has worked a number of homicides that have happened in other jurisdictions. They tend to come down and throw yeah. the bodies off the causeway. Yeah. It's just, it's, they've been doing that for years. So what happened was they drove down... And how he found this, I have no idea unless he's been down there before. Because remember, I didn't interview him. Right. But you know as well as I do, you come over that overpass where Smitty's Bait Camp is, and then you take the exit for Tiki, mm-hmm. you know? And you can go oh, around. Fat Boy's Bait Camp. Fat Boy's, I'm sorry. Yeah, we said Smitty's earlier. Smitty, Fat yeah. Boy's. Well, Smitty's is the on one the other was, side. Yeah. yeah, Fat Boy's. So they make that loop. Mm-hmm. to get back up on the freeway, but you also have that road that goes to the old causeway, the yeah. railroad bridge. Yeah. And uh, that's, they parked there. He got out with the container, and he walked out, I don't know, three, 400 yards, maybe at the most, and just dropped it off in the water. So what, so what happened with the fisherman in the container? Was that? We never got an answer. We never identified who those people were. Um, we never found them. The two fishermen were definitely telling the truth. Did they ever, did you guys ever ask the mother or do you know if the stepfather was asked if that, if they attempted to dispose of her body that time? I didn't ask her that. Um, that seems very, yeah, it does. Suspicious. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's, but it, it definitely does. And I'm going to be honest with you, Mike. I don't know if I asked that question, yeah. to be honest. I'll, I'll be honest about that. Yeah. Um, she that doesn't may have know been the, another attempt. Well, it could have been. Yeah. It could have been an attempt to dispose of the body um, because he's from Texas. Yeah. He's uh, lived here most of his life, in fact. Not, but he didn't have a boat, though. No, he didn't have a boat. Right. So it's... Yeah. They didn't have a boat. No. And, in fact, you know, if other people were, were involved... but. I, now, I did ask, are others involved yeah. besides you and your husband? And she says no. I didn't interview him, so I don't know the answer, but I'm sure it was no. So that's that's really what happened the day of the punishment. Um, and it went on, a, her words, for six and a half hours that they disciplined, they, their, their words disciplined the child. And she admitted that she participated in it. Yes. As well. She did. At some point, did she try to stop him? No. She didn't? No. Why do you think that was? You know? I mean, surely, you can't think that that's normal. No. You know, to discipline a two-year-old child 
to that extreme. Yeah, belt belt marks still on the body. You know, of course, the body's going to tell you things. Right. After it's deceased, so you look. That's even why in we the state to, in which it was. Huh? Even in the state in which she was right. when y'all found her, we could have seen months and months later. You could still see that yes. even in the state of decomposition. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's what people don't realize is that, you know, the body tells stories that the mouth doesn't. Exactly. You know, exactly. and it's the same thing that I say about um, behaviors of people. The body and the actions will tell you what someone's intentions are. Stop paying attention to the words, right? Because the words will lie and deceive, but the actions of an individual over a period of time will always reveal what their intentions are. And so- That's true. um, You know, this is a terrible, terrible tragedy um, that I wanted to bring you in to talk to you about. Um, So she gets, life with the possibility of parole yes she's probably not eligible for probably another 30 years probably i would assume yeah she's young she there's a very good chance she may be paroled at some point Mm -hmm. um because she was probably 20 at the time the the stepfather will never see that let's you know i'm just going to go ahead and say it let's hope prison justice takes care of him um not afraid they have already they have already okay well good that's not enough it was with first five weeks Good. Well, that's and you know how they work. I mean, they might wait another year or two. The inmates they before may they wait, get him again, they may wait ten more years. That's right. But hopefully that 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 justice will prevail. Um, you know what? If you're if you don't like that, don't then don't watch the podcast. It is what it is. That's the truth. That's the truth. You know.